Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. What a gegenpod we have in store for you. We'll give you seven good reasons to listen, especially if you're a Liverpool fan. Former Premier League stars Mark Schwarzer, Thomas Sorensen and Michael Bridges are along to talk about the title race, the battle for top four and they'll give some interesting guarantees regarding the relegation zone. This is the Optus Sport Football Podcast. I'm your host, Teo Pelizzeri. Let's get in to the Gegenpod. Well, they say a week is a long time in football, and this time last week, Amy Duggan and Sam Pilger were taking a victory lap for Manchester United. This week, we welcome in a new cast on the Gegen Pod. Mark Schwarzer is back, Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen. We've got the big three, and Liverpool made it a big seven. We can't start anywhere else, gentlemen. Mark Schwarzer, as I welcome you back to the Gegen Pod, what on earth happened? Liverpool seven, Manchester United nil. I don't know. I don't think anyone knows what happened. Um, incredible, right? Wasn't it? I mean, the way that I, I think the, the most alarming and the way that's been portrayed over here the most is how easily Manchester United rolled over. How many players seemingly um, gave up, um, lost their head, gave up. And obviously, there's been quite a few finger pointing. Um, Bruno Fernandes has obviously received a barrage of. of uh, of criticism and the way that he performed or didn't perform and and, and the, the petulant sort of behaviour and not befitting a captain, let alone a captain of Manchester United. Um, look look at Liverpool. I thought Liverpool were outstanding. Um, and I think Liverpool thoroughly deserved it. And it's easy to turn around and say Manchester United uh, capitulated, but Liverpool, I thought, were outstanding. And, and, and that's a big reason why uh, Man United fell apart. Yeah, I think for sure there was, there was a clear difference in intent and effort all the way through uh you know from the first minute and then you know just some sloppy mistakes Luke Shaw I thought you know was involved in a couple of the goals just giving the ball away you know just all round and at the top level it's only a few percent you have to drop uh in you know in, in your effort and and everything else you know for this to go this way and I thought Liverpool you know, they wanted to win this one big time. And, and I thought you could see that from start to finish. And they had the quality, some superb goals as well. Uh, Gakpo, I think, had a, a breakthrough game. So, yeah, 7-0. It, it was embarrassing. And I think as a, as a United fan and, and, and as a club and as a player, you know, these things can't happen. <laughs> but it, it did. And I'm delighted. I've yes. just sent, by the way, there is a, there's a search party gone out looking for Amy Duggan. She's nowhere to be seen. She doesn't want to take part in the podcast. Amy, we're giving you a shout out. 7-0, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I'm still buzzing from it. I'm not even a Liverpool fan, but just to see all the Manchester United fans after the League Cup win around this area sulking, it's blooming brilliant. You don't support Liverpool. I mean, you support everyone else. What, Liverpool's oh, not on, on your list. See, I'll tell you what, I was supporting <laughs> Liverpool's second half of that game, mate. I was cheering them on like you would not believe. Did they, Manchester United, hand back all the progress that they'd made by winning that trophy in, in the League Cup? It, it seems as though everyone, I think, rightfully spent a week praising Eric Ten Hag, 
talking about how he'd improved the players he'd inherited, his transfer strategy. It really seemed like it was a good time to put a, a fork in the ground for Manchester United and talk about the progress they'd made. But how much of that has now been uh, obliterated by this one-off result? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And witnessing the second-half performance, I think the lads touched on it there, it was the... The way some of them down tools now, Bruno Fernandez, you know, asking why he wasn't substituted on the field. Um, he lost his lost his blob with a linesman. I still don't know how he hasn't been charged with anything like that because he did manhandle a linesman. Um, Luke Shaw again, another player. I'm thinking totally out of sorts. They just completely lost their way, and Liverpool turned it on at Anfield. They had the fans behind them, but you know they were they were they were wanting seven goals, and it happened. And Manchester have had a blip before um, in this when when they've played Man City. We were thinking the form that they've shown has been absolutely incredible. The resilience they showed against Barcelona to come back and, and get involved in them two ties, the way they won the League Cup. Uh, and this is a massive, massive knock for their confidence. So for, for the manager to call them unprofessional um, is absolutely huge. So it's going to be interesting to see the next few matches, how they react from this, whether it costs them for the rest of the season or whether they can gather momentum once again. I think as a, as a United fan and as, as being connected to that club, I think you, you would just be disappointed because, as you said, it's been such a good season. And I think this result, hopefully, in, it will be isolated and, and you can take a lot of credit, uh, sorry, a, a lot of learnings from this. And as Ten Hag has, has been quite hard in, you know, in his comments, he's trying to create a culture there. And if you want to be a, a top side, you know, this would never happen to a Manchester City. Um, you know, they, they wouldn't lose 7-0. Uh, and it's just because they have that in them. And, and this is where United are trying to move towards. Um, you know, it, it takes nothing away from the season they've had. Uh, I, I just think if you're connected to the club, you would just be disappointed because they were so close to being in that title race. And now you can, you can just start to question if, if, if they're out of it. You know, they need to start maybe looking over their shoulder. What effect is this going to have going forward because you're just bringing on all this criticism all this noise from the outside that you don't really need right now because everything you know talk about we're talking about the Socceroos and everything that happened at the World Cup then the A-League happened but you know and it just brought the negatives United have just won their first trophy in six years and then <laughs> they have to deal with all this now you know so it's just something that they don't need. Of course, it, it's a massive kick in the teeth right and a massive setback for Manchester United but I agree with Tommy you, you, it won't, it won't deter from their season overall. I mean, they've won their first trophy in what six years or so. They've improved dramatically under Ten Hag, but it goes to show you how far they still have to go. There's still a lot of work to be done. Uh, let's not forget, um, what was it '96 when uh, Man United got thumped twice uh, in the matter of in the matter of a week, five nil against Newcastle and then six three against them, and they still went on to win the league. Not, I'm not saying that's going to happen now. They're not going to win the league. But what I'm saying is it's happened in the past with them and they've, they've, they've obviously picked themselves up and they've got on with the business. This is now going to be an enormous test of character, how Manchester United react after a debacle, after the embarrassment of losing a game, not only losing a game 7-0, but losing to Liverpool. That, I mean, that's, that's, that's right up there, isn't it? Mark, you were the first to mention Bruno Fernandes and already the headlines are starting about potential replacements, social media. I mean, it's Manchester United. There's always going to be a huge reaction, positive and negative either way. But given Eric Ten Hag and the way he was able to deal with Cristiano Ronaldo, I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but when you mentioned the word character there, has Bruno Fernandes' display effectively stamped his papers at Manchester United? 
The thing is, I, I don't know why everyone's making a big deal about it because for me, that's no different to the way he's been the whole way through. He's always had that petulant side. He's always carried on. The difference is obviously they got thumped and he's, the, he's wearing the armband. And even, even, even before this thumping, wearing the armband, he still showed petulant behavior. But people kind of went, oh, it's okay. It's not a problem. No one really worried about it. The, the fact, I think it was just exaggerated. Um, so I always thought that he was a strange choice as a captain anyway. I, re- I really did. Um, so from, I mean, from the outside, obviously I don't know, you don't know what goes on day to day. He must have quite a big rapport, quite a big standing amongst the players. Well, you would think anyway, that's not always the case either, is it? We've been in dressing rooms, I'm sure, uh, I certainly have where the captain not necessarily has that big rapport or that big standing within the group. It's just a manager's choice. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be surprised going forward, certainly long-term, maybe for the remainder of the season, but long-term, I'd be surprised if Bruno Fernandes stays as captain. You know, as a captain, you're held to a higher standard. You know, you, you, you have to, you know, exemplify everything that the, the, the team stands for. You know, Ten Hag, he, his, his way of running things, very disciplined, uh, you know, never give up. And yeah, I think, you know, Bruno Fernandes, to me, you know, similar to Swartzi, I think he's a little bit of a prima donna, great player you know he scored seven goals and had 11 assists in 40 games this season so he's he's an impact player he's got the quality but yeah i I, you know i I think long term you you got to look potentially elsewhere i think uh uh unless he's a huge character in the dressing room which i just can't see but yeah yeah there's definitely question marks there long term we will look ahead for manchester united later in the podcast when we uh, talk a bit of la liga and spanish football because europa league and real betis is up next for them but i want to talk about the liverpool side of the equation because in the week that the club announced that uh, bobby firmino would not be returning uh, next season and a bit of generational change was getting underway can we read much into this result mark as far as liverpool's perceived rebuild uh, could it even be a rebuild on the run if they're getting results like this it seems as though we've always perceived them to be not too many moves in the transfer market away is it a case that uh, this sort of performance is a sign that uh, mentally the players are switching gears and are ready to go on with the next phase under Jurgen Klopp I, I was listening and, and I read something from from quite a few journals over here talking about it was Another reminder to Liverpool fans about the the Jurgen Klopp way can still work with this group of players, and I think a lot's been said about his seven year kind of itch, seven year uh, sort of downfall, whether he was at Dortmund, Mainz, and, and so on, and, and this is the period of time now at at um, at Liverpool, and I think it was a a, a good. A good reminder, if Liverpool fans have even needed it, was that this group of players are still 100% involved, uh, committed, and can still deliver at that level. The question is, can they deliver each week at that level, this group of players? Uh, Inevitably, evolution has to take place. And Firmino is one of those ones that obviously game time is nowhere near as much as he'd like. And I think think it's right. I think it's great that that he's made the decision. He's taking the decision in his own hands. He's made it nice and clear beforehand. And I think there'll be more. I don't think he'll be the only one. I think they need to freshen things up. Um, I think any team does. I, I, I think people just made, have made a bigger deal out of Liverpool because of, I suppose, the the scale of the fall uh, that we've seen in a, in a short period of time. I think it was well 
well sort of uh, sort of the, the cracks were quite quite well covered over for some time and i think the longer you keep a core group of players together um the the more the more dramatic the the effect will be when things start to fall apart and i think that's where liverpool's been this season yeah but how refreshing was it towards you when firmino's come out i and, and to say that to hear it and the, the reception he got after that goal not only from the fans but from his his players and everybody was saying how fitting it was that you know bobby firmino got the the winning god not the winning goal the seventh goal the icing on the cake, as they called it, and I just thought the reception he got marvellous. Yeah, I mean, look, that's what a player deserves. A player of his stature, uh, the service he's given to the club, um, and and he looks like someone who's never really complained. I'm sure, you know, there's no doubt he was disappointed. I remember him getting taken off on numerous occasions, and you could see the disappointment, the anger, the frustration on his face, and that's completely normal, and that's what you expect. But I think he's he's um, standing within the group. Um, I think the respect that Liverpool fans have for him, but also these teammates and his manager is, is very, very evident to see. And it is refreshing. You don't you don't hear it too often. Certainly in this country, we, we do, like in the Bundesliga, which I follow a lot, We I, I, you hear it a lot of players already committing to another club for the next season. It's very open about it. And they do it within clubs within the own, within the same country, whereas um, <clears throat> with within here in England, it's often last minute, isn't it? Lastminute.com, you kind of find out if at all. Um, so yeah, it, it is kind of nice in a lot of ways. I think it gives him a great opportunity to say goodbye to Liverpool fans. Yeah, and I think like with with Liverpool, uh, if we have to talk about a rebuild, uh, at least in my view, then we we have to talk talk about Liverpool without Klopp, and I don't think that's going to happen. So I, I think their squad is good enough. Um, you know, I think we saw in, in this game that uh, you know, like like both of you alluded to that that Klopp hasn't lost <laughs> hasn't lost the team or anything. We we see improvement from Darwin Nunez. Gakpo has has starting to to sort of gel and and. And, and step up. So, you know, for me, maybe a couple of players, you know, there's obviously been talk about Jude Bellingham. I would love to see Moses Caicedo as well, but he's just signed an extension at, at Brighton. So that's probably going to be going to be hard to get him unless they're going to pay big money. So, you know, they're not far away, I think. Um, you know, they have, you know, Javi Elliott in, in midfield, I think he, he did well. So, you know, um, you know, rebuild, I think, is, is the wrong term. I think they're not far away um, if they're injury-free. Yeah, it's about freshening things up as well. Like, if, if you look at yeah, their yeah. centre-half centre pairings, for example, Matip, since day one almost, has been injured quite frequently yeah. throughout the period of time he's been at the club. Joe Gomez has struggled. He's struggled over the last couple of years. It's been, been a nightmare for him injury-wise. Uh, Kunate's had had a number of injuries as well. So th- they really do need another s- stable, fit, top-class defender. Um, whether Matip moves on, whether Gomez moves on, who knows? But I think there's a couple of positions. Midfield's another another example. I think, you know, Naby Keita uh, will probably be leaving as well, end of, end of his contract. They definitely have room and will bring in more players. The issue I see also with Liverpool is that going forward, they've got phenomenal attack. The problem they've had is that they've had so many players injured at one time. In the past, they've managed to still perform and get results, even though they've juggled a lot of injuries. For some reason this season, it just hasn't quite worked for them. But I, I don't write them off. I don't write the Liverpool off at all. Uh, to winning the title, uh, yes. I don't think I don't think they've got a chance of winning the title. But finishing the top four, and I remember, uh, was it you, Bridgie, not long ago, saying they've got no chance of finishing the top four. Uh, 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 and I always kept saying there's so much football to be played and this Liverpool team has too much quality to write them yeah. off until it's mathematically impossible. 
Is that right, Bridgie? Is that, is that, did you say that, Bridgie? You've gone really quiet. Have you, are you Sorry, choking just on got something? A, got a bit of interference there coming through. <laughs> all right, all right. It's still not over. <laughs> Quickly around the panel, uh, given we've just seen them flex their goal-scoring muscle, does anyone give Liverpool a chance of reversing the deficit against Real Madrid in the second leg? I've got to say no, Theo. And I say no because when I heard you know Virgil van Dijk talking about it, saying it's mission impossible... When you've got a leader of your team coming out and saying that, you almost seem like it's you know they've they've given up the ghost already. But what a time to get against a Manchester United team that knocked out Barcelona, right? You're scoring seven goals. You need five in the return leg. In uh, Barca, getting one over in Real Madrid recently, so it's gonna it makes this this result makes this tie so much more interesting. And I think if they can go in with that right attitude, they're gonna score goals. But I still think this is too far gone for them. At least they're facing a Real Madrid side uh, at a moment in time where they're not flying. Uh, you know, I think Real at Real Betis, you know, they 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 were hanging on at, at times. Obviously, had a goal disallowed. You know, so you know you get an early goal. I think it's it's uh, you know it's not impossible. But if I was a betting man, I wouldn't put more than ten dollars on it uh, for them to turn this around. It's it's going to be a, a tough one. I'm sure Benzema and Vinicius are going to cause a few problems the other way. So, yeah, no, it, it's going to be a long, long shot. But magic has happened and Liverpool tends to be on the end of, of magic games in, in the Champions League. So, who knows? Yeah, but that's more often when they got the second leg at home. Like They'd a bit lost to Barcelona yeah. 3-0 and beat them at home 4-0. Uh, look, again, Liverpool um, are capable of going to, to Madrid and winning the game and winning the game comfortably. I agree with Thomas. Ma- uh, Real Madrid haven't been great. I mean, they're, they're a top class, so there's no doubt about it. But if anyone, other than Man City, but anyone else, I, I, I think Liverpool have certainly got the ability to go there and win the game 3-0. But we'll see. It is a big tall, it is a tall order. Um, and I agree with Tommy. I, I wouldn't even put 10. I'd put probably five on it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tighter than you, though. <laughs> and uh, just on that top four race, uh, with Spurs losing and Newcastle losing, rather than uh, go back over those results, let's take a look ahead. Uh, panel, I have asked you in the past for who's going down and who's the next manager sacked. Well, now I want to ask you for your top four. We've got the home stretch coming up in the Premier League. As of today, who do you pick as your four teams for those Champions League spots? So many still in contention. Even got wild cards like Brighton still sniffing around. So, Thomas Sorensen, I'll start with you. As of today, with 12 games to go for most teams, who is your top four in the Premier League? Uh, Arsenal, Man City, Man United and Liverpool. Uh, I think Tottenham, Newcastle, sadly, just too inconsistent. Uh, And then... You know, it'll be a long stretch for Fulham, Brighton, Brentford to get involved in the Champions League spot, even though they've had great seasons. So, uh, yeah, Liverpool, I think, will sneak in that fourth spot. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm going to go Arsenal, Man City, Man United and Chelsea. Oh, no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> Liverpool as well. I agree with Tommy. <laughs> we'll talk about Chelsea in the next minute we talk about the relegation. <laughs> I've got, I've got, yeah, Arsenal, Man City, Man United and Liverpool. I agree. Um, this will be interesting. What do, you, what do you reckon, Michael? Well, lads, if you just want to have a look at the two shirts behind me, I've got my Spurs jersey up there. I've got the Newcastle United jersey hanging up there. And my top four is going to be Arsenal, Man City, oh Man God. United and Liverpool. That's <laughs> <laughs> so predictable. <laughs> As we know, the twists and turns keep coming. We're going to take a quick break here on the Pod. When we come back, we'll talk about the relegation battle and about Arsenal's amazing comeback. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Welcome back to the Gagan Pod. We've got Thomas Sorensen, Michael Bridges and Mark Schwarzer in the pod this week. Let's get to the relegation battle. David Moyes is pleading for patience after a thrashing at the hands of Brighton. We know that uh, managerial sack watch has been going crazy this season, but uh, Bridgie, does it look as though Moyes is going to see West Ham to the finish line, even if it does come with relegation at the end of it? Oh, man, it's a huge... I think they would have done it by now, you know. Um, He's just come out with some terrible, terrible comments this season because he's been feeling the pressure. Don't worry to the fans, we're going to make European football. Well, no, that's not going to happen. And they've just looked so, so like, disorganised, disjointed... No, Scamacca hasn't done what he was supposed to do. Antonio hasn't produced. The only person in that club at this moment in time that seems to be producing week in, week out is Jared Bourne. He, he yet again, just keeps on going to a whole new level. Um, and will, I, will he see out this season? I, I'm going to say yes. I think he will still be in. And when you look at all the other teams, Bournemouth change the manager, Southampton. Yes, Everton have, Leeds have. He's hanging in there with the likes of Leicester Forest. Wolves have already pushed the panic button, as have Aston Villa. So there's only four remaining managers in that bottom 10 um, or 11 because Chelsea have already done it uh, as well. So it, it's it's absolutely interesting. I think David Moyes will be there um, and he'll have, to, he'll have to see out this season with them. And I, I still fancy them to to get out of this. I really, really do. I see too much quality in, in their team. Um yeah, I, I'm going to stick by them. Yeah, and I think he's just getting enough results. You know, even though you know it was shocking at Brighton, uh, we can all agree. And and there, there's been other shocking, you know, the the loss, the de- defensive performance against Tottenham where they lost two 0 But then, you know, he goes and beats Top Forest four 0 and and Everton as well. I think it's a massive game against Aston Villa this weekend. I think that that's you know another huge one. It, and it wouldn't be beyond him to get something out of that. So. I think he's just going to do enough and, and he's going to keep them up, um, potentially. Um, he seems to have the backing of, of the, the board, even though that's not always a great sign. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you, Bridget. I think, he, he, I, think he, I think he's just going to do enough because there's other teams around that are you know, either worse off <clears throat> as a squad and, and haven't got the quality um, or, or not getting the results. And, you know, he, he just seems to get the right results, uh, at least up to this point. I reckon the next the next two league games are the the tipping point. He's got Villa at home and Southampton at home. If he loses yeah. both of those games, I think he's got. To, I, I think he'll be gone. I, I just don't see them keeping hold of him if he loses both those games. But I don't think they will. I, I, I think I think you're right, Tommy. I think he's doing enough. He'll do enough. Has done enough so far. It's just not the West Ham season that most of his fans would hope for, right? Um, because of the last season, two seasons that they've done, and then they've they've th- let's be honest, punched above their weight. They've they've been been exceptional. Um, so I I think they'll be all right. But I mean, you look at the table; it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, <laughs> oh, it's just like if do you, know, you think do you know about the team I fear for. Go on. The team I fear for is Everton. If you look at their run of games coming up next, you got Chelsea, Tottenham, Man United, Fulham. 
Um, I just, I, I think they're gone. You, you know, they got the bounce against against Arsenal when he when the new manager came in. Dice, great to see him back, but they have looked absolutely shocking all season. And they've had, you know, a bounce result and the rest of the games. I think Everton are in serious, serious trouble. I think there's a couple. There's a couple. If you look at, for example, I know Crystal Palace are in 12th spot. They're on 27 points. They have not won a game in the league this year yet. It's eight games. Again, I, I, it's that whole, the whole theory of they're too good to go down. And in theory, yeah, that's right. But I, I think anyone from Palace, Palace down... Is is in is in the fight is in the mix, and I mean you you look at Southampton's performance on the weekend. I was at the game against uh, against Leicester. Yes, Leicester definitely should have got a point, if not more. Um, Big Harry should have hit the crossbar in the last basically the last kick of the game, or the last header of the game, and um, but they're there because they've just been so poor and so inconsistent, as have all the rest of them. Leeds United. Squeaky bum time, isn't it, Bridgie? It has been for a while, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> so yeah, look, I, I, I think, I think you can th- you throw your hat on it. You can throw a, uh, like a hat on all those teams. Any one of them can go down still. Well, let's uh, do the relegation battle with a bit of a twist. In the past, I've asked who's going down. Today, I want you to look at maybe from twelfth place down. And gents, I just want two teams that you're going to guarantee me will stay up, because in any given week. Everyone is close to crisis. Is there a single team? Can I even get one team that you like enough that you can look from 12th down and uh, give me an absolute rock-solid guarantee that that team is not going to get relegated? For our listeners uh, that may not have the table handy, Palace on 27, Wolves 27, Forest 26, Leicester 24, West Ham 23, Leeds 22, and then the relegation zone, Everton 22, Southampton 21, Bournemouth 21. Six points separating all of those teams. Uh, Bridgie, I'll start with you. Give us a guarantee. Who's definitely staying up? I've just given you a guarantee. West Ham and Moyes are staying up, and I think it will be Leeds United staying up as well. So I'm giving you 16th and <laughs> 17th place wow. there, by the way. Give us there a reason, then. Give us a reason. If you get a big Leeds, give us a reason. Well, they pay, they pay his wages. <laughs> That's why. Leeds, Leeds, and he needs Leeds them to keep stay up, so they continue to pay his wages. It's not to do with paying the wages, Mark Sports. It's to do with being an ambassador for that club and seeing the inner sanctum. Exactly. But you're giving out guarantees here, Bridget. got enough. You're giving out guarantees. Yeah. I'm giving out guarantees. <laughs> And okay. I'm back, David Moyes and West Ham. They've got too much fire. They've got too much quality to go down against all the other teams. And the next okay. few matches, like Swartz says, they will win. And Leeds United, well, yeah, they pay the bills. So there you go. But he had a couple of guarantees this season. He's had a couple <laughs> of guarantees already this season. He said that Jesse Marsh is the man for Leeds United, and he's going to do the business. Um, he also said uh, Newcastle that finish top uh, Liverpool four. wasn't going to Liverpool wasn't going to make the top four. There's no <laughs> chance. Um, and now he's saying Leeds and West Ham are definitely staying up. So if I was anyone out there listening, I'd be going and putting money on West Ham and Leeds to get relegated. Oh, but at, le- at least uh, at least all Leeds fan can can breathe breathe easy now. You know they're they're safe, so that's good. All right, I'm going to guarantee that Wolves are going to stay up and um, Leicester. Um, Wolves, I think with Lapoteki, they're, they're on the up. I think they're playing some decent football and he's getting results. He's getting the right results. They're grinding out results. I think a big win against against um, Spurs on the weekend, that was absolutely huge for them. Just for morale, momentum and everything else. And I'm just going to go along the same sort of lines as Bridgie, really. Leicester City, I, it, it's a, the whole story about as well as just too good to go down. They're not too good to go down because they could easily go down. I, but I do th- genuinely believe they've got 
too much talent there. I think he will. Brendan Rodgers will get enough results to stay up. Only just though. Yeah, I agree on Wolves. I think they are uh, my guarantee. And then you know you're looking at it's so tight, and you're looking at some sort of indicator of of just something to give you some confidence in. And I, I actually think Nottingham Forest. I think they uh, the home the home form they haven't lost in nine games. I think that is crucial to staying up. Um, so it might be a little bit of a stretch, but yeah, that's that's my other guarantee. Uh, Nottingham Forest are gonna be safe. We'll see how that goes. I'm sure there'll be a social media graphic uh, <laughs> putting you all on the record. All right, uh, let's go uh, right to the... We've saved the best until last in the Premier League. Arsenal, they saved the best until last as well with that thrilling 3-2 win against Bournemouth. Thomas, is there a bit of an inevitability about them now or was the game actually evidence that more slip-ups might be coming? Uh, yeah, I think you saw, you know, a bit of both. I think, you know, obviously going down in, you know, one of the quickest goals uh, ever, Billing, uh, getting getting on a score sheet early, going down 2-0. That's, you know, a bit of a, a warning sign, I would say, against the struggling Bournemouth side. Um, but, yeah, then they show what, what they've shown this season and what's been missing that we've been, you know, hammering them about for the last God knows how many years. They, they didn't have a... You know the right character. They just laid down whenever they faced any sort of adversity, and 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 you know this is you know when you're not playing particularly your best, and and you still come out and grind out results. And obviously that Nelson goal late on is it was crucial for them, and you could see how much it meant. You know the, you know normally you probably celebrate quite easily if you win against Bournemouth. They Bournemouth only had 19% of possession, so there there was a big gap there, but. Yeah, no, uh, yeah. There's something that tells me that they um, that they, they 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 can and will do it. They have a strong, oh, sorry, a difficult finish to the to to the season. They still have to go to Man City. They've 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 got a tough run in, but you know, yeah, I, I can see them uh, winning, and I think uh, this was a great sign for them. Yeah, next match got a massive one, haven't they? They got Fulham away, yeah. so that could be the title. That could be the title. Uh, Decided right there and there. <laughs> um, look, I, I, I think, firstly, Arsenal have done phenomenally well. And, and I think a lot of people kind of didn't expect them to lose to Bournemouth, but then go 2-0 down, you kind of thought, well, is this the moment? Yeah, it got back to 2-2, that's it. Okay, is that the moment where they kind of let it slip a little bit? Uh, is the pressure now getting too great for them? But fair play to them. I mean, they kept going and kept going. Look, I, I think it's brilliant that they're five points ahead of Man City because... It just keeps it more interesting for longer. Uh, I fear that you know, if you look at the two of them, how far ahead they are of, of United in third, it becomes a two. It is a two-horse race. You don't want it to. You don't want one of the two teams to just sort of shoot off. I, I'm I'm less concerned in one ways in terms of the uh, competitiveness of the league. If Arsenal even go a couple more points ahead, because Manchester City have got more than capable of actually bridging that gap, because they are. They just they they they've got the ability all over the pitch. Whereas Arsenal, you kind of think I don't know. I feel that if they get a couple of bad results in a row, that could be curtains. The only thing is they haven't had a couple of bad results in a row all season. So they're showing that they've got you know the mental strength, the ability, and they they deserve to be where they are. Hundred percent. Well, Swartz, the test of curry, I thought, for that they've shown was the, the defeat to Everton. So it was top V bottom. They get beaten. I'm thinking, oh, could this be the one where they, they have a capitulation? And they've just gone on to a whole new level. They've, they've showed the mentality, the resilience that you need. And we all remember playing against Manchester United under Fergie time. And now we've got Arteta time. So 
I think they're looking like they, mm. they've got one hell of a chance. And the way they were celebrating after that Bournemouth uh, match, you could tell what it meant to them, almost like saying, you know, this this is the real, we are the real deal, and this is on this season. I think it's theirs to lose, to be honest. We have, I've, I don't, I, I know City are going to push them all the way, Manchester City, but I just feel that it's, this is Arsenal's year and what they've been producing. I've actually enjoyed watching them more than I've enjoyed watching the likes of Tottenham Hotspur and Manchester City and Manchester United. I've really enjoyed watching Arsenal's football. Well, speaking of uh, that title race then, Bridgie, Arsenal play against Sporting Lisbon of Portugal in the Europa League on Friday Australian time. Should Arsenal play a weakened team and maybe sacrifice their spot in the competition? They've got 12 games to go in the league. If they were to make the Europa League final, that's an additional seven games, which seems like a, a huge additional commitment. So do you think it's worth rotating the team to the point where it's not the end of the world if they get knocked out? I'll tell you what, if I'm in Arteta's position, you think that a couple of seasons ago he was looking at getting sacked in the in a bottom of the league and they've gone and transformed things around in the top of the Premier League and they're on for the Euro, you know, in Europe to get silverware. There's no chance that you were gonna try and, and not it's not like they've got trophies coming out of uh, out the backsides at this moment in time. Arteta will be going out to win as many things as he can. Um and you know, I think that's the the joy that Arsenal have these days. They have got enough personnel to be able to make some changes. And you say a weakened team. Um, I think it, I think if I was to say yeah, they play a weakened team, that would be derogatory to the players that are there because they're you know they're all international footballers and they've got class in Smith Smith Rose back as well. So it's you know they adding more and more depth to them, and I, I can see them just kicking on. Mark, you know the rhythm of Europa League or UEFA Cup that Thursday to Sunday sort of uh, rhythm that you have to get into. How does Arteta juggle this? Does he even try to juggle it? The difference being that every time I've been in that in that competition where we got to the final, we our league our league form suffered for it, and and both times we had reasonably big squads, so it is a real big challenge. It's it's probably one of the harder ones to do, you know, to do both to to be winning the league or up there or thereabouts, plus uh, winning the Europa League or, or or being you know towards the latter stages of it. Um, uh, look, I think uh, I think they've just got to keep going. They've got to keep doing what they've been doing all season. They've got to keep going with the, the strength of the squad in the Europa League as they are in the league. I, I, I think what they're doing so far and have done all season has worked. Why change it? Um, so for me, there's a major trophy up for grabs. There's two major trophies up for grabs for Arsenal. And I think they're more than capable of winning both. So they've got to go for it. Yeah, for sure. I think you, you might tweak it a bit uh, going away to to sporting. Um, but you've got four games now before the international break. I know Arsenal obviously sports a lot of international players, so they'll be away. But you still, you know, you, st you can still see this as a, as a sort of a little grouping of four games that you've got to get through. And yeah, I don't think you can miss any opportunities to win a trophy. So uh, I'm, I'm sure Arteta will go, you know, close to full side with, with a few changes. Now, Manchester United, uh, we said we would talk about their match against Real Betis. Betis, who have not been uh, in fantastic form. Um, they drew nil all with Real Madrid, though, which uh, they will take some heart from. But they were very lucky to beat Elche, who imploded, and uh, they beat them 3-2 a couple of weeks ago. And after that game, the La Liga TV experts on Optus Sport were saying that uh, they are not going to be able to look in the eyes of Manchester United, uh, implying that if Manchester United are beating Barcelona, 
they may not have too much trouble with fifth-placed Real Betis. But do you see it now as a potential banana skin, skin Thomas, that uh, Man United, after the stirring win against Barcelona in a great European night, that now they may actually struggle with a team that is 21 points worse than Barcelona in La Liga? You know, what we will get with Real Betis is one of the best pre-match shows you'll ever get. You know, so, uh, you know, what, what, whatever happens, that's going to be a spectacle. Um, yeah, you, you can't see Man United not getting through Real Betis, even though, you know, it's, it's always a tough place to go down there. You know, the, the fans and, and everything else. Um, but yeah, United, too much quality. And again, they can mix and match and the squad is good enough for, for it. And yeah, I think Betis got in, enough to focus on in the league, um, you know, at current as, as well. So, uh, yeah, no, um, I'm sure the United fans will enjoy that spectacle and, and, and you know, potentially take a win back as well. I see it as a potential banana skin off the back of the performance against Liverpool. And I think there is a chance they could slip up. There is a chance they could go there in, in Seville um, and but over two legs, watch it. Yeah, I mean, look, the way that Liverpool, sorry, the way that Manchester United are at the moment, I, I think they, 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 they're they're kind of fragile at the moment, right? So they lose if they lose in Seville, and and they could they could lose if they if they can't put themselves, they could if they lose by a couple, it makes it that little bit more difficult. Yeah, at Old Trafford, I know Manchester United, but a proper Manchester United firing on all cylinders, no, then betters have no chance. But this is the beauty of it, right? So you go through peaks and troughs throughout a season. Um, Bethes are no slouches. They're fifth in the league. Um, I, know they're, I know they're 21 points behind Barcelona, but that's most teams in La Liga have been that many points. I mean, Atletico Madrid are, are not much, you know, much, uh, you know, fewer goals behind, uh, points behind. Uh, even Real Madrid are, uh, are nine points behind them, you know? So it, it, it's, no, it's no slouch being that. Um, Man United were flying as well when they beat Barcelona in the in in the uh, in the Europa League. So uh, for me, it's no go- foregone conclusion. It should be, but it's not at the moment. Well, let's stay with La Liga for a moment because I wanted to just uh, get away from the title race where Barcelona are now nine clear of Real Madrid at the top and talk about some of the heavy hitters that even two-thirds of the way into the season are still languishing in the table. Sevilla only outside the relegation zone on goal difference. Valencia inside the relegation zone by two points. And with Elche cast adrift, uh, another 11 points uh, adrift at the bottom of the league. Valencia are effectively the worst team in La Liga that still stands a chance of staying up. Uh, Bridgie, what does it say about La Liga that Sevilla, who've won all these uh, UEFA Cups and Europa Leagues and have been a great team that has made Champions League numerous times, Valencia, who 20 years ago were in consecutive Champions League finals, what does it say about La Liga that these two might very legitimately get relegated this season? Yeah, this is the same Valencia that beat Leeds United in the Champions League semi-final to go on to win it. Um, yes, yeah, staggering to think where they've come from. But think what Leeds have done since then as well, going down two divisions and getting themselves back after 16 years to the Premier League. So, you know, what you're seeing with Valencia, I think they've been in a lot of turmoil over a number of years as well. When you think what went on with Martin Lynn, Lim, who um, got Gary Neville in, in as the manager, um, you know, we saw was it Matty Ryan had been there, Swartzy? Yep. And he'd, you know what, you know what he'd gone through when he was there. The, you know, there was a terrible time for him to go to the club. So I think this has been something that has been festering for a long time with Valencia, um, because of the crap that's been going off the field and the the, the bad habits that they've got themselves into. Um, whereas with Sevilla, that's a whole different ball game. They've they're having a shocker of a season. 
Um, and you know, the, you think of the European trophies that they have won, especially under Unai Emery, to see them down at the bottom of La Liga, it's absolutely scary. I think they've got the nous to get out of it. I think they will see Valencia go down, um, and I say good riddance to them because of what has been going on for them. They'd be nice for them to hit the reset button and, 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 and get themselves back. But Sevilla, I wouldn't want to see them go down. And you've talked about the quality of La Liga. I think it's fascinating to watch. I mean, I love the Premier League, don't get us wrong. I love Bundesliga, and La Liga is, is up there. And the, the, the quality that has been shown this season, seeing Barca bounce back as well, is, is just added to the, to the excitement of the whole thing. Well, don't forget, on Monday, March the 20th, Optus Sport has something special for you for breakfast. Optus Sport brings you live La Liga at breakfast. 7 a.m. El Clasico. Barcelona take on Real Madrid. Benzema, Lewandowski, Vinny Jr. El Clasico. Live 7 a.m. Monday, March 20, only on Optus Sport. Yes, everyone is looking forward to El Clasico, and it's at a perfect time on March the 20th. All right, you're listening to the Gagan Pod. Let's get into some Australian football chat because uh, a, a very interesting story absolutely caught on like wildfire on Optus Sports socials this week. The National Second Division expressions of interest. Uh, at the moment, it is still a competition very much in its infancy, but many famous names from the NSL era and some of the biggest names at NPL or State League level in Australia have put their names forward to potentially bid to get in to a second tier that would exist below the A-League. No promotion and relegation just yet, but one of the first building blocks perhaps to getting to that one day. Thomas, as the uh, the member of the panel based in Australia, I'll come to you first. What have you made of the enthusiasm <laughs> and the reaction to the National Second Division and some of the names of clubs that have been attached to the concept? You know, I think it's a, it's a very positive development. I think that that's the way the game in Australia has to move. Uh, we have to, to, to get into a, a two-tiered system where, where we have relegation uh, and promotion, uh, you know, just for the interest. Uh, uh, and then it, it's then about finding a financial viable uh, model, um, you know, for this to, to sort of progress because I think that's going to be the big key is how, how do you finance this? How, how, how do teams benefit from it uh, how do you get the money to trickle down uh, and and broaden the the base of of football um, so so that that's going to be the next thing but i think it's it's great that so many teams are interested i think uh, that's that's the first thing you want the backing of of everyone and and as you said uh, you know there's big teams from from new south wales victoria tasmania even got the team in there so you know, so that's, you know, it's a great start. Uh, and as I said, it, it, we need to have these dis- discussions uh, in this country. So, uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we're just moving in that way. Yeah, Theo, Tommy's just mentioned there the, the investment and the, the money. How, have we got any idea of facts and figures of how much it's going to cost each of these clubs? Should they be able to get in? Well, I think the clubs here that have um, uh, made the expression of interest, that had to come with a deposit in order to keep a seat at the table and so I think now more serious auditing of uh, each club's position and their viability to uh, go into a plausible league uh, really starts here. It's previously been a a bit of a wide-ranging discussion with uh, every club under the sun seemingly uh, having a a little bit of a a finger in the pie but now that you actually have to put a down payment on going to the next stage that's where you start to find out who's serious. Because that, that's the interesting question. Because obviously, when I was when I was the head coach of um, Edgeworth Eagles in the Newcastle MPL, you know there was talk. Uh, Warren Mills, owner, was talk that you know they're looking at this second division. He was heavily involved, and that was part of the attraction to go there. 
um, and be the head coach thinking that in a few years you know you potentially could be in there so I haven't seen their name mentioned um, in that uh, there's I think the only one that's in from the Newcastle NPL now is Valentine so I think the funding that they're going to have to stump up is going to be substantial and that's why we've seen a lot of teams that were interested originally have now backed off because of that that massive investment they're going to have to make and it's not vis- it's not feasible for them I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of excited when I look at a lot of these names I'm thinking the old NSL and I'm actually quite excited about it. I think it's going to be pretty cool if uh, a lot of these uh, big, big names in Australian football do actually uh, make it into you know the national second division. Um, look, I, I also think it has to be a given. You have to have as many teams from as, or, or certainly a team from every state as possible. I mean, the only team, only state where we're missing is Northern Territory, unfortunately. Um, but I, I think it's brilliant, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. And I hope it gains enough momentum, has enough interest and and it's viable enough for it to succeed. As far, Mark, as what it can do for player development, I suppose, if, if it's semi-professional, if it's full-time professional, creating more jobs for coaches, for administrators, for players in Australia, how, how do you see that actually affecting the uh, the landscape? I mean, is it, are we going to get a situation where perhaps, just as a theory, Teams in a national second division might be far more motivated sellers to get their players overseas, to seek out contact networks, to try and make transfer fees, you know, one way they can stay viable as clubs. And that actually might lead to a greater production line of Australians being sold overseas. Well, a lot of those clubs that are on those lists uh, of teams that have, have shown expression of interest are teams that had survived a lot of the times throughout the years based on selling players overseas. And it was at a period of time where we had quite a lot of Aussies going overseas and there was always a, a, a kind of a, a, a regular bit of fl- influx of, of, of transfer fees, albeit sometimes only small, but but enough to keep teams ticking over. Um, so I, I think that's a given. I think any team should be doing it. I think I think A-League clubs should be looking at trying to generate income through selling players overseas. I, I, I just, for me, that's an absolute must. Um, and it'd certainly be part of anything that I'd be wanted, wanted to do if I was involved in those clubs, produce players, sell players, you know, obviously with the internal transfer system as well in place now, that's hopefully going to help. Um, obviously in an ideal world as well, I'd love to see the second division become full-time because the natural progression, once you have that ideal set up that you have, you know, the A-League and then the second division and there's becomes promotion and relegation, if they're only semi-professional and they end up being promoted into the A-League, which is professional, I mean, the gap would be so enormous and it'd be almost virtually impossible for any of those teams to compete. So I'd like to see them try and be as professional as possible at the beginning. So Mark, a question for you, right? I've got an MPL player who was in the second tier. We're, we're going to turn professional. He's He's got a job. He's He's got his own company as a plumber or an electrician or a builder. He's earned anything between 150 to 300,000, maybe half a million doing his job and I'm asking him to turn professional to become in a salary cap industry when he's at the age of 26, 27, 28. That, that's a massive decision. Yeah, that, so the, it, it's yeah. got its pros, but it's also got its cons. So I think hybrid, hybrid style clubs where we have got some pros and some amateurs are allowed to continue their journey. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, I think it's up to each individual club to decide on that. But in general, I think for, for the competitive nature of it, I think you're going to have to eventually have all the teams professional because that's the only way I can see them being able to make that progression once once promotion and relegation comes into play. Um, 
it, 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 I don't know. Understand how? I don't know how otherwise it would be viable. Otherwise, you'll just see teams get promoted and come straight back down again because the gap will be so enormous. Yes, there are going to be players, like you mentioned as an example, that have major decisions to make, and he may well that sort of player might go. You know what? No, I don't want to take a hit like that. I'm not going to take the chance. But there'll be some who will want to follow their dreams and potentially give it everything to see whether or not they can make that jump up. I, I, it's it's a it's a difficult situation to be in, but I think for the for the game to progress, we need a second division. We need it to be professional sooner rather than later. And Thomas, uh, off the pitch for coaches, uh, given the appetite for Australian coaches at the moment and something of a high watermark with how they're performing, um, it, it seems as though this division is uh, quite a bit of a necessity just to have more coaches testing each other at a, on a national stage as well. There's only so many jobs in the A-League. It's obviously very difficult to jump overseas unless you're willing to go to you know far-flung corners of Europe or uh, Southeast Asia and, and really just roll the dice on yourself. Um, how much more valuable is this going to be for the coaching production line as well? Yeah, for sure. It, it, it's going to be valuable all the way around. Uh, you know, coaches, higher level, if it's more professional, it, it, it's going to breathe... You know, at least more excellence, uh, you know, for young players, for staff, you know, for, for club executives, uh, just to operate at a, at a higher level. Um, you know, so, yeah, for coaches, uh, we're already seeing, you know, that, you know, the Australian coaches can be successful. And, and I think it's important that we have a Postacoglu and, and other Kevin Muscat who, who are sort of leading the way. And, and, I, and I think it, it also, you know, gives incentive to, to young coaches to say, okay, actually, you know, I, I can have a career. Um, and, and a second division would, would just give those up-and-coming coaches, you know, better opportunities. And, um, you know, so I think all, ra- all the way around, it, it, it'll be a very positive thing if, if like Swartz said, we can get some sort of, you know, professional environment. But, you know, the thing is, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think the competitiveness of the, for the coaches is, is going to be invaluable because... I think for a lot of those, if anyone were coaching those teams now, um, whether it's an up-and-coming coach, wherever it is, and they're doing really well, I think the jump up, and I think for a lot of A-League clubs, they're probably less likely to look towards someone from those levels. If you create a second division that is then professional and they're doing really well, I think there is a natural progression. You look to bring up an up-and-coming manager through those divisions because the drop-off isn't as far. And therefore, you feel that actually, you know what? They can take that step up. They can actually progress. Whereas now, I think that the gap is is far greater between the national, you know, the MPLs in, of, 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 of the country as opposed to the A-League. Well, one last Australian football topic to finish the Gegen pod, and that is the Socceroos. Because Australia has two friendlies coming up at the end of March against Ecuador. Exciting uh, for the World Cup squad, most of whom will be returning to Australia, if not all of whom will be returning to Australia in order to uh, have a bit of time in the sun for their achievements in Qatar. One player that won't be there, though, is Danny Vukovic, who's retired from international football. And uh, Mark Schwarzer, I'll start with you. Uh, are there any new faces you would like to see make Graham Arnold's squad? Uh, or should this primarily be about saying thank you to the World Cup team? Of course, with, with Danny Vukovic retiring from the national team, there's an opening now, isn't there, for, for a goalkeeper to come through. Um, and I think if I think about goalkeepers who are doing well up and coming in Europe, Ashley Maynard Brewer, um, who I caught up with a couple of seasons ago when he was up in Scotland 
um, has you know come back to Charlton is number one at Charlton, and I think he'd be someone that definitely would be be one to to look to bring into camp and, and give him that exposure, rather than rather than necessarily going with an experienced goalkeeper. Um, you've obviously got Andrew Redmayne who's still there. You've got Matty Ryan who's got abundance of of, of experience. I think it's a good time now to start bringing in the younger next generation of goalkeeper to 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 really experience what it's like to be part of the Socceroos and in that environment um, and to learn from the guys that are there. So I, I, that's what I'd ideally like to see um, moving forward and uh, to talk about whether or not it's a, it's a farewell. Look, there is room for some sentiment, I think, with players. Um, we've, we had it after the 2006 World Cup where a couple of players retired and we, we had a game, I think, was against Paraguay and there was a, about four players retiring in the one game. Look, I think there's, there's definitely a place for that and, 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 if, and if Graham Arnold feels that that's the right time to do it, then I, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens and I, I think go for it. There's enough time to, to have it. There's two friendlies. Use that first one as an opportunity for guys to, to, to say goodbye and play their last game or make an appearance in their last game in the national team at home soil. Um, because I think the guys deserve it, considering you know what a remarkable World Cup they've had. Yeah, and I think you can also look to to the A League. You know, you got a Joe Gauci, a Tom Glover. I think I think there's there's opportunities there. To, and I agree with Swartz. I think you know as a third choice, uh, get someone young in that you believe in, that you see potential, and and at least get a feel for them. You know, um, you know, see them close at hand. You know, how, how do they react in that sort of environment? Can can they step up and 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 potentially long term be a successor to uh, Matty Ryan, you know, hopefully, you know, he's still young though in goalkeeping terms. So, so he's got a few more years in him. Uh, but yeah, a, a young keeper, I think would make sense. I, I also think you've got room to bring in two young goalkeepers. There's, there's no reason why you can't bring two in. One is a train on goalkeeper and the other one is part of the squad. There's, there's no yeah. reason why you can't do that. If you're starting to look at now bringing in another generation and, and it's not necessary, you might not, you might not be honed in on one one totally you might just think you know what this guy's done shown some present there's some some really good form let's bring him in let's give him the exposure and then see how he how he goes and let's keep monitoring it give it to a couple of couple of different goalkeepers now give them an opportunity to be part of the squad i'm not saying give them game time i'm saying be part of that environment and to learn off the guys there Gentlemen, thank you for joining us on the Gegen Pod, another lively edition and look forward to hearing from all of you again soon cheers Teal. good to see you boys cheers guys See ya. Yes, a big thank you to Mark Schwarzer, Michael Bridges and Thomas Sorensen. The Premier League continues on Saturday night with Liverpool's trip to Bournemouth kicking off at 11.30pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time. There's a four-game goal rush from 2am Sunday, followed by Manchester City's visit to Crystal Palace at 4.30am. Monday morning has another goal rush with three games from 1am, including Manchester United against Southampton and league leaders Arsenal away at Fulham. All times Australian Eastern Daylight Time. La Liga rolls on with a vital game in the relegation battle between Cadiz and Getafe from 7am on Saturday morning. You can see Real Madrid against Espanyol from midnight on Sunday and Barcelona's trip to Bilbao to face Athletic Club at 7am on Monday. All times Australian Eastern Daylight Time. The WSL has Thursday fixtures this week with Arsenal playing Liverpool at 6.15am and Chelsea against Brighton from 6.30am. On the weekend, there are six more live games, including the blockbuster between Chelsea and Manchester United, kicking off at 11.30pm on Sunday night. 
all times Australian Eastern Daylight Time. And don't forget, you can watch the J-League and K-League on Optus Sport. Jump onto the Optus Sport website or app for the broadcast details. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and rate us five stars while you're there. My name's Teo Pelizzeri. Thank you for your company on the Optus Sport Football Podcast this week. This was The Gag and Pod. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.